And C, we've got Carmen Electra golfing. Yes! Whoa, you treated the Baywatch chick? The Baywatch thespian. And no, I gotta disguise the identity of each of the patients. I got tired of using the middle-aged man. Carmen seemed like a pleasant alternative. Also, she's apparently quite the golfer. In less than two hours, one of these three will be tossed out of the hospital because they were faking it to score narcotics, and one will be very close to death. Any guesses on which is which? Welcome to Gimmicks, a podcast about the high-concept, experimental, structure-breaking gimmick episodes of TV, from musicals to noirs to three stories about leg pain and much more. I'm Derek B. Gale, and who's with me today? Hello, I am Andrea, a.k.a. Andy, a.k.a. Plus Verb, which is how you find me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, And I'm a big uh, TV fanatic from way back and um, really big fan of Sherlock Holmes iterations, which is how I got into House in the first place. And House is a a modern day retelling of Sherlock Holmes. And um, yeah, I've just I've uh, been just really big fan of the show for the last gosh 17 years it's been on the air (laughs) that's wild that's wild hey andy uh if you had to choose between being a farmer volleyball player or golfer who is secretly a doctor which would you choose to be (laughs) you know that's a great that's honestly a great question you know if i had to pick between those i would um i would probably be the the model that's secretly uh, a middle-aged cranky doctor i just feel like that's just so relatable i mean who who isn't these days you know i mean i just (laughs) there's so many layers to to that uh so yes if i if but if i were making up like a secret version of myself i would definitely cast somebody who looked like carmen electra too (laughs) i love it i love it i love it so we are talking about house season one episode 21 entitled three stories Um, before we get into it just for anyone listening who maybe is unfamiliar with the show house which is also sometimes known as house comma md yes uh (laughs) it is a medical drama created by david shore ran for eight seasons from 2004 to 2012 follows Dr. Gregory House, played by Hugh Laurie, uh, who is a misanthropic genius who's addicted to painkillers, but also a brilliant doctor, uh, as he and his team of physicians solve mystery illnesses and break a lot of rules along the way. Um, known for kind of like you you referred to, uh, it's like kind of a low-key Sherlock Holmes adaptation where it frames each illness as its own sort of hospital whodunit and House and his team have to like find clues and solve the mystery diagnosis for it. Um, massive hit, was in like the top 10 series in the US, I think from two, season two to four, one of the most watched TV shows in the world. I think 2008, it was the most watched TV show in the world, yeah. which is incredible. Won a ton of awards. So 
it's it's definitely a, a, a pretty it, it during its run it was a very major staple in television and you kind of got into it but so what 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 is your personal history with house yeah i, I really liked uh, robert sean leonard i've been a fan of his since i was a kid and i saw him in dead poet society and i knew that he was being cast as wilson which is the show's watson character the uh character that helps the main detective uh, you know, kind of come up and be his foil and and bounce ideas off of and um and be his best friend through thick and thin. And so I started watching the show for Robert Sean Leonard. And I had been familiar with Hugh Laurie's comedy work, but I didn't really have any expect expectations past that. I was really interested in um this particular spin on a Sherlock Holmes kind of format where uh the mysteries were differential diagnoses in medical settings, you know, it's kind of different. I mean, I mean, yeah. there's all kinds of Sherlock Holmes adaptations. They've been, you know, rats in Victorian London. They've been singing tomatoes and veggie tales. I mean, so there's all kinds <laughs> of bloodhounds. I mean, they've been all kinds of, uh, all kinds of people. And so, you know, um, and so in this particular one, and it just really worked because of the, the chemistry of the cast. And of course, Hugh Laurie turned out to be like, probably is the performance of his career. Although I think, I think probably somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he actually never won an Emmy for the role, even when the show won for best drama, which is interesting because how can the huh. show be the best drama without it being, you know, the house, the best performer, you know? So, Oh, that's so funny. I think they did like trade-offs between um, him and, and, you know, Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad, I think was the one that he kind of being the foil for why he, the oh, spoiler, yeah, was, <laughs> the spoiler was around the same time. It was, yeah. it was. So I think that's why he never won an Emmy for it. But this particular episode did, I believe this was the first screenwriting episode the show ever won was for three stories. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, I get it. Yeah. It's a good episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I watched it when it first started. I think I was there from day one and I, I, I don't really know exactly why, because I never, I was never that interested in medical dramas before. Um, so I think maybe I was just watching everything on Fox at the time, or maybe the promos are really good, but I do know I watched the first episode and it hooked me right immediately. I think because for one, it's a really beautiful looking show. It's really well shot and well lit in a way that I think makes it stand out from any other medical drama I'd ever seen. And also just, yeah, the kind of Sherlock Holmes of it all, like the the idea of making these uh, like medical illnesses into like a mystery to be solved is so compelling and so brilliant and kind of weird that like that hadn't already been the formula for right. other medical <laughs> shows, you know, like it seems yeah, so easy. Yeah. I mean, like, like house is a, is a play on the word Holmes, you know, like, so that's, mm -hmm. that's, um, they did a bunch of stuff. I mean, it, it was by far one of the most expensive, if I think might be the most expensive show that Fox had produced up until that point, they may have spent more money on it since then, but, uh, and you know, the salaries and all that stuff counted into that, yeah. but the production values definitely showed, you know, how, how expensive the show was and how much, you know, value the, the, it had for the network. And, uh, it was definitely a show that had a lot of thought behind it. I know that they did have a, a, a troop of medical consultants to make sure. Although I have some friends that are doctors that don't like to watch it because of course they pick up on all the little things that the show fudges in order to make it more compelling story, you know? So <laughs> right. it's, it's not the case. It's like when you have 
you know, real information security people watching shows about hackers. They're like, that's not how it goes. That's <laughs> not like, right. <laughs> that's how we got to make it dramatic on TV. It's got to yeah, yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, so that, all the doctors that I know that watch a the show, they're like, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with that. But everybody else, you know, we don't, we don't pick up yeah. on those things. So. Yeah, of course, of course. Wait until you get a load of Dr. Gregory House. What does that tell you? Nothing. I'm watching him blink. Medicine's greatest mind is a hard pill to swallow. There's no I in team. There's a me, though, if you jumble it up. When your life is on the line... He's not responding. He's the person you want by your side. Who are you? I'm the doctor who's trying to save your son. An all-new house next on Fox. I watched it, I think, through season three, I think, or so, and I, I kind of fell off. Not for any reason. I always liked it, but um, but I, I'm not, I definitely would, like peek in at certain points like I, I've seen some like bigger episodes from later but at least like the last few years I I really I've I've know things just from cultural osmosis but really my experience is only with the earliest episodes and funny enough like even though I remember watching this episode like I remember the episode with Carmen Electra that was weird <laughs> I it's it's wild how much I'd forgotten I forgot the actual big twist uh, oh. with the third patient in this one, gotcha. which I am happy about because I'm like, you know what? I got to experience it for the first time again. That's because awesome. it's a very good twist. I did forget so. <laughs> that this was an episode where um, he tried to date Cameron. <laughs> and I know that mm. they tried the, like a house Cameron pairing. And I know that was a very popular pairing with fans through the duration of the show. Mm. It's one of the most popular Ones, I think, probably after House Wilson and House Cuddy, you know, yeah, uh, and sure. those were all of like that. But House Cameron had its its devotees to the very end. And uh, this particular episode was one where they didn't give it a fair shot, per se, but at least they sort of you know, dipped their toes into that water to see this if it worked or not. Um, and within the within the show, I'm not judging the ship, but, you know, within the show that they decided it didn't work. Uh, for a variety of reasons, mm. but it did deepen the relationship between those two characters because Cameron is the one who discovers the the twist, you know, the twist of yeah. who the third patient is, you know, and it makes her mm. understand him as a just as a human being versus this figure that looms large in their department, you know, in their diet in the diagnostics department that she was almost maybe uh, it humanized him uh, for Cameron in this episode. And, and it humanized him for me too. And I think that's why it really stuck, stuck out so much, you know, because I think that uh, one of the themes of house is that genius can be very alienating for people that uh, mm. it, having this mind that is just so far and they explore this throughout the series in a variety of ways. There's a, an episode, I think, in the later seasons where uh, a person who was a genius has a sort of like a traumatic brain injury that gives mm -hmm. him normal intelligence levels. Mm -hmm. And he almost doesn't want to go back to being to having it fixed because he found being a genius so alienating from others and so lonely and so hard to just have a simple conversation with other people and, and things like that and just to connect with others. And so that's a theme that first starts to get yeah you know starts to get explored in the first season and carries through the whole the whole series and um you know and because of that alienation and because of that disconnect because even very intelligent people you know may have a mm. hard time connecting emotionally with somebody at the genius level that house is in the show uh and yeah. she, you know but for her for her making the discovery of what he really went through and what he suffered really humanized him for her and uh it was kind of a very 
vulnerable moment for him in in his own very odd <laughs> roundabout kind yeah. of way, you know? Yeah. It's interesting because, and I'm sure we'll talk about it even more in depth when we're talking about like the events of the episode. But I do think that overall, um, I feel like there's like, there's been plenty of iterations of that, like a genius who feels alienated sure. kind of story told. But I think this, this show told it really well in a way that, I feel like other ones often fail at where it's it's really easy to go too far in the direction of like, well, this guy's just an asshole yeah. who's unsympathetic or go in the opposite direction where the he, the audience thinks he's an asshole, but the show doesn't. And, and so him. you don't have sympathy for yeah. him. And I think there's a good balance in the show where like there are times when he gets his comeuppance for being awful and he's called out for being awful. And it's very clear that yep. we're not meant to sympathize with them. But then the moments when we are meant to sympathize with them, I think we genuinely do. Um, and this episode, I think, plays all of all sides of that. He's kind of at his most jerk ass and he's also at his most sympathetic at different points. Uh, and I appreciate that a lot. I think it's really, really well done. <laughs> yeah, one of, that is for sure one of the things that I found the most compelling about House is that, you know, genius asshole is is for sure a trope that can be really tiresome because yeah. it isn't fun for it's it's not fun for me as an audience member to watch somebody justify be just horrible to people because he's really smart and um <laughs> and for sure uh the show never lets house get away with that uh there are other characters who begrudgingly admit that you have to allow some of his idiosyncrasies because what he does is so singular in terms of what he contributes to the hospital uh and it, the show definitely explores where that line is and what lines he can and can't cross both within the hospital setting and within his interpersonal relationships with wilson and with cuddy with other people in his life uh with other staff members with patients uh where he definitely the show does not write him a free license uh, to act however he wants. I think it does a pretty good job of writing him in. I think around the time when you stopped watching it is when they brought in a character who was hellbent on bringing him down. And, you know, mm. obviously it went on for another five years, so he didn't succeed, but he came pretty <laughs> sure. close. He came pretty close. And um, it was a real, it was a formidable, uh, you know, uh, enemy, I guess, antagonist, I think is more of an appropriate yeah. word for, for him, uh, which is interesting because he's he plays the role of the antagonist in many of, the, you know, the episodes himself, House. And so, uh, yeah, you know, and ultimately this show does make the point. Uh, by the way, I, I do feel, think that House has one of the best series finales of all time. It is just cool. the best series finale. It just ends for me. I, some people might disagree, yeah. but for me, it was so satisfying and hit every single note it should have and was just a fan love letter for me. I know some people felt nice. differently because they didn't, you know, it's an episode of television. You can't yeah. make everybody happy. But for me, it yeah. did. But I will say that, um, you know, Wilson is instrumental in uh, in telling him, look, just because you have this incredible mind and yes, it does cause you hardship. And yes, you know, you have suffered a lot through his, he's very disabled. He has um, chronic pain, uh, you know, degenerative chronic extreme pain that he can only manage with, you know, painkillers, which is its own kettle of fish. Just because you're coping yeah. with this, just because you feel these things, it's not a carte blanche to mistreat people. You know, it's, you still have to be a, a decent human being within that you have to find some other ways to give this meaning other than being <laughs> making 
externalizing it and taking it out on others. And that isn't something you see a lot in the asshole genius depiction, you know, (laughs) like for sure, even within Sherlock Holmes, the original, but even in other iterations of Sherlock Holmes, you know, it doesn't do, you know, I I don't want to offend other fans of other Sherlock and iterations, but we can probably all think of some Sherlock Holmes iterations where the guy was a jerk <laughs> and everybody's like, well, you know, what can he, he's just a genius, you know, he's just like, what are you going to do, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so House never does yeah. that, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that, I love that. House. I'm the big cheese, the go-to guy. Critics call House one of the most compelling characters in TV history. That wasn't nearly as dramatic as I was hoping. He's witty. What else turns you on? Casual sex. I'm a doctor. I need to know. Irreverent. It's been a while since a patient took a swing at you. Can I watch? Well, this is good. And charming. I'm more of a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. What began as a critically acclaimed drama has become a phenomenon. You're quite impressed with yourself right now, aren't you? (laughs) It wouldn't be. House. So this episode in particular, it's, it's, it's so fascinating. So like, you know... This is a very procedural show in that most episodes, patient comes in, they solve a mystery about what the diagnosis is. And there's character development around that, right, related. The gimmick of this one is that they sort of, there's almost like three mini house episodes inside of it told through these three stories that are sort of presented as these like flashbacks. But they're kind of like false flashbacks told by an unreliable narrator that are like kind of nonlinear. They're kind of vignette They're cutting back and forth between all of the flashbacks. So it's not segmented between three very distinct stories. They're all cross-cutting. Sometimes it's sometimes things elements change depending on how house wants to tell the story. Sometimes they go back and forth or like the students the students because the premise is the premise is that um the main diagnostics lecturer is out sick so he's he's being forced to fill in by cuddy for whatever sins he's committed recently as like a penance (laughs) to teach these kids so he doesn't want to be there in the first place and uh yes so he he goes in and of course he's starts acting up because he's house and he starts telling and the students are like wait a minute that's not even possible and he'll be like oh yeah yeah and then he'll go back and revisit the story <laughs> and change something yeah. so yeah. it's great so he's like constantly you know it's obviously he's telling it to the students but it presents it visualizes for us on screen is flashbacks but he's constantly messing with the reality of it which makes this episode kind of impossible to recap i might add based on speaking of someone who had to take down notes about it but <laughs> But um, it's great. Uh, it's it's really fascinating. Um, and it's and it's and it's all the alterations are kind of to prove a point or like to lie about the story he's really telling as well, which we'll get to. Um, but uh, creator David Shore kind of credited this use of what he called the false flashbacks, uh, being largely influenced by the 1968 French science fiction film Je t'aime, Je t'aime, which is about this time travel experiment that results in someone experiencing his past in like a, a disjointed nonlinear fashion, which is kind of sort of what's happening in this episode. Um, he also credits Alfred Hitchcock's 1949 film Stage Fright, um, which is a little bit different. But the whole deal with that is that it begins with a the flashback. Then, spoiler, the end of the movie, the big twist is that it turns out that flashback we as the audience saw was actually fake. It was just a full out lie. Um, so it's sort of like, oh, you can't trust reality even in movies when you think you can trust it right and that's kind of the type of thing that this episode plays on yeah and the the unreliable narrator is house and so it it sort of does set him up as 
can you eat? How can you trust? Like, what good is this genius yeah. if you can't even trust what this man is telling you? You know, like everything, right. everything that's coming out of his mouth is possibly self-serving and or twisted to serve his own agenda. You know, so like how right. how do you how do you trust some a doctor or a, a diagnostician in his case? <laughs> you know, if if he's just full of shit, you know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. It's it's so funny and like it. This is the I think this is the front of the first structure breaking episode of the show uh, to my knowledge. Yeah. And I know David Shore had said like in some interviews that he was like kind of nervous about doing that. And I don't think, I don't know if he'd really done anything like this in anything that he'd done before. Um, so there's an interview where he said it was either the worst thing I had ever written or the best. <laughs> Honestly, I wasn't sure. <laughs> well, he got an Emmy for it. So I, that must've right. been very so I validating. Think it's fine. I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, this thing had like universal acclaim Mo anywhere that I was looking. It's sort of like, Oh no, the only argument, is like is this like the best episode of the show or the best episode of all tv ever of all time <laughs> basically so it it's like, i just remember being like fresh out of college and just being completely blown away <laughs> by i had never seen anything like it before you know i i had yeah. never i i just the way that it just kept you on the edge of your seat and the way it tied everything together and all these different narrative mm -hmm. threads because it's not just the three cases not just the three stories of the title but there's also even uh, you know a fourth story which is the story of stacy his ex yeah and the diagnosing of his of you know whether or not he's going to work on her new husband so and what all that entails and how different his demeanor is with her. And so it's like it's almost there's a fourth hidden story within the three stories. And yeah. and it's just it's a it it was a very narratively complex episode and very dense, but still not so dense that you felt like there were too many things going on. It was all just very right. seamlessly tied together. I had just never I'm, it's been done a million times since then. But and I'm not saying it's the mm -hmm. first time it's ever done, but it was it was the the first time I had ever seen a show with this, uh, an episode with this particular structure and the, the anach anachronic, I think it's anachronic, the, the, the different I think so. back flat, the, fl the fake flashbacks, as you said, and all that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it, it, it would be so easy for this to be a complete mess. Like this, this is not, this can't, I don't envy a writer writing this, you know? And so it, it does speak to like the ability of everyone involved that it, is is not incoherent like absolutely it no, for sure it does. For sure <laughs> yeah does. yeah some of the things that one it was on tv guides top 100 tv episodes of all time list as of 2009 which i, I don't think they've updated that since then <laughs> does tv guide exist um, anymore i don't know <laughs> <laughs> they exist but i don't know if i don't even know i don't know if they do a print magazine i think right. they might be only online actually yeah yeah but yeah like you said it won an emmy for outstanding writing in a drama it won a peabody award it won a humanitas or humanitis i'm not sure how to pronounce that prize um director paris barclay he didn't win this award but he was nominated for this episode for a director's guild of america award so um, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's, it, it, you would have to be a hot take to say that there was anything, that there was problems with this episode at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so with all that, why don't we start digging into the episode itself?
if you would like to watch along with us, it is available to stream on Peacock for free. Um, you won't hear Teardrop is in the opening credits, which makes me sad. But, you know. Right, <laughs> because Mass Effect, do. they, they uh, not Mass Effect, um, Massive mass, mass Attack. Massive Attack, yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, wires crossed there for a second. But yes, Massive Attack, they they didn't, what they didn't allow um, I don't think usage so. for well, Peacock. I think that I looked up and apparently there's a lot of weird stuff with that because apparently they were only the theme song in the US. If you watched it in other countries, oh. it would be, I think, the song that you hear on Peacock. And so there probably it was a light. I think there was probably licensing issues from the beginning. And then once once it gets into like streaming rights and stuff like that, it's just like, now nah, we're not paying for that. So. Wow. Well, so I recommend watching um, the YouTube video of the house theme song first and then kind of like get into the mood yeah. and then watch the episode like that makes sense. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. It's it's definitely is like because the song that is in it in its place, it's sort of like. Oh, the song that's like really trying hard to be massive <laughs> oh, attack, goodness. but just can't be. You know? yeah, it's a beautiful song. And it went beautifully with the opening credits, which are still, I can yeah. still see and hear them in my mind. So they're very mm-hmm. impressive. So, yeah. Yeah, they're very good. Um, so this episode, um, I always like to have the synopsis from IMDb because it's always funny to see how people try to <laughs> sum up quickly <laughs> sum up like weird episodes like this. <laughs> this one, they just wrote a paragraph. <laughs> so the synopsis per IMDb is House's ex, Stacy Warner, asks him to treat her husband. House takes over a diagnostics class for a day and presents the class with three case studies of leg pain. As House tells his story and the class gradually fills up with listeners, the class learns a lot about how to be better talk. And Chase Foreman and Cameron uh, learn some important details of House's past. I guess it's, I feel like it focuses on the weirder details of that, but (laughs) I guess it's fine. As good as it can be. Original air date for this episode was May 17th, 2005. It was uh, written by David Shore, uh, who, like I said, was the series creator and showrunner. Um, he's also uh, was a producer on Law and Order. He's most recently developed and showruns currently The Good Doctor. So he does another Doctor show now. I've never seen it. Yeah. But, um, I've seen a little bit good. of it. Yeah, I've, I, I haven't I haven't watched a lot of it, but I've, I've seen a little of it. It's Freddie Highmore. He's really, he's a good actor. Yeah. This was directed by Paris Barclay, who is directed all over the place since the nineties, but some notable shows um, he directed on sliders, which I've done an episode on my podcast on. Um, it is also directed on NYPD blue ER, the West wing lost sons of anarchy, glee station 19 and many, many others. So um, all over the place on some big shows, this episode, um, we, we kind of got into the setup for it already. Basically it opens right off the bat. <laughs> It opens right off the bat with just House complaining because he doesn't want to be a substitute lecturer, basically. He is not sick. Dr. Riley is throwing up. He obviously can't lecture. You witnessed the spew? Or did you just have his word for it? I think I'm coming down with a little bit of the clap. I may have to go home for a few days. Dr. Riley doesn't have a history of lying to me. You said this is the fifth time he's missed a class this year. Either he's dying or he's lying. I'll give you two hours off clinic duty. Fine. I'll have Cameron do it. She loves inspiring the inspired. You'll do it. Why is it always me? Because the world hates you. Or because it's a class on diagnostics. Pick whichever reason feeds your narcissism better. But after, you know, some uh, some witty negotiation, um, Dr. Cuddy, who's the chief hospital administrator, makes him do it. But the other thing that happens in this teaser that's important is that on the way to the lecture, House's girlfriend, Stacy Warner, uh, appears asking House to take on her husband Mark's medical case. I was around you long enough to know when something is not right. Mark's had personality changes, he's acting strange, disconnected. Interesting. 
means there's either a neurological component or he's having an affair. No affair? No nothing. He's sick. I know you're not too busy. You avoid work like the plague. Unless it actually is the plague. I'm asking you a favor. I'm not too busy. I'm not sure I want him to live. Yeah, they had broken up five years earlier. Yes, which we find out later. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Was had she I know that like there had been plenty of hints about his infarction and stuff like that. Had they mentioned Stacy at all before then, or is this? Yeah, he, yes. Time? No, he. They they do mention like in vague terms, but this is the first time we actually get to know her. And I think there might be a joke at some point earlier in the season that she might not be a real person. <laughs> like he might have been oh, making funny. her up because he does have a penchant for like sex workers and not really being right. into committed relationships. Instead, you know, and so. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's, you know, there's all kinds of, but Wilson, I think, does say, you know, he, no, she really does. No, she exists. Like she's, <laughs> she's real human. She's not like Snuffleupagus, you know? So like, so yeah. we, she is kind of, uh, you do get the sense that she looms large for him, you know, that she sort of, that it's something, because he immediately, her, his, his entire demeanor changes around her, yeah. you know, when she, when he meets her, he doesn't have that wall, those walls multiple walls, layers, <laughs> like mm-hmm. wall parfait that he's got for everybody else, <laughs> you know? He yeah. like that all comes away. And so you get the immediate sense. I mean they're both great actors. Um they get you get the immediate sense that she knows corners of him that other people have never seen before. He hasn't allowed other people to see and he's she knows she's very deeply entrenched in his history. So you get that like right away, that yeah. meeting. Yeah, she's played by Celia Ward, who I don't think I'd seen her in anything before I saw this episode. But like, she's immediately like the energy is like so palpable between the two because I think it is so rare to see someone who's able to kind of fire back on his like is unafraid to fire back on his level, and she kind of does it like right off the bat. Um, but it is very clear that like there's there is like there are feelings. Yeah. You know, between each other. Yeah. And like she's there because she wants House to take on her current husband, Mark's medical case. And House in very house life fashion is just like, no, not worth my time. I'm not even sure I want your husband to live. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what I and what I like about it too is that, you know, if you when you don't know what's coming, you just assume like, oh, this is pure, just like House is jealous. It's and pettiness. that's it. Yeah. Bad breakup. And 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 I think like once you know the reality of it, it's sort of like, I actually understand why he would have a lot of very intense negative feelings towards her or conflicted feelings towards her, you know, given the situation. Uh, Really fascinating. Um, So he goes to the lecture hall uh, and he tells these students, basically he starts to tell these uh, students these three presumably real stories of cases he's dealt with. Alleged. 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 Yeah. Three guys walk into a clinic. Their legs hurt. What's wrong with them? The most likely cause of leg pain is muscle strain. Apply heat and rest affected areas. Statistically, you're right. Very good. My experience over half of leg pain is musculoskeletal, generally, from excessive exercise. 12% is varicose veins brought on by pregnancy, and most of the rest is the result of vehicular accidents. I said three people. That's six legs. So you've got three hurt jogging, two in collisions, and one of the legs is pregnant. What were they doing when pain presented? I have no idea. You didn't ask? You didn't take a history? Of course. 
but all that told us was what they said happened. And the only connection between these three patients is that they all came in with leg pain. Uh, but he does give us the delightful tease that by the end, one will have been tossed out of the hospital because he was faking it to store nar- score narcotics and the other will be close to death. So for the rest of this episode, it's a lot of cross-cutting between these three flashbacks. I, I think the easiest thing is just to talk about like one patient at a time. Yeah. But obviously there is some fun stuff between how they cross cut and the way they interplay these stories. So we can still kind of talk about that as it comes up. But for the sake of the listeners, I'm not going to talk about it chronologically. So we're just going to summarize each patient and then talk about them individually and see where it goes from there. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that that's part of the the charm of and the compelling aspect of the episode is, is the fact that the way these stories are presented is is in very you know very piecemeal and very unusual format, but it's yeah. it is by far going to be easier just to just to dive in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it's funny because I think that one benefit of that is that like all like there obviously is a formula to house because it's a procedural show. Like patient comes in, they halfway through they're going to think they've solved it and diagnosed the patient, and then it's wrong, and then it's a weirder diagnosis by the end. And all of these cases kind of have that. But I still found myself like early in the episode because it's structured so interestingly and you don't really know what to expect when they got to the point with each patient where it's sort of like, well, this is obvious. It's obviously a rattlesnake bite right. or whatever. I'm like, oh, well, wait. So what's going to happen for the rest of the episode? They solved it. And it's like, oh, you tricked me with <laughs> even though you're following your basic formula just by doing it slightly like ordered differently. It's it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's, it's it does underscore the point of the, one of the points, one of the themes of the episode which is that expecting the expected is a problem within, uh, you know, differential diagnoses, because if, you know, there's a whole speech he talks about where like, just because it sounds right and you don't have a better answer does not mean you're right. You still have to find the truth, like sounding right and being true and making sense and fitting all of the symptoms and fitting all of the it that doesn't make it true. Like there is a true there is a truth and there's a not true when it comes to making medical diagnoses and his commitment to that. It does sort of underscore the hidden ethics of the character where he is really committed to whether it be to satisfy his own ego or to because he really believes this is something that should be that this is like an ethical right. position for him, which is a, a ongoing theme of the theory of I mean, the series is, is whether or not, you know, he does this just because he thinks it's fun or because he thinks it's right. And does it matter? Yeah. It doesn't matter to the patient. Does the patient care if he's doing it? Because, <laughs> you know, if he's cured him, do, do you care if your doctor thinks it's fun to cure you or right to cure you like you're cured who cares you know so um, right that, that's a good point <laughs> all of those things get brought up in this episode i think for the first time and it, you re- it resonates the, the rest of the series like they they explore that in a variety of ways but he does he, he does introduce this idea like right is is what you're going for you're not going for sounds good you know and so, right yeah. Oh, that's such a, that's, I, I didn't really think about it like that in depth. That's so fascinating that, yeah. Yeah. So this first case, it's, it's, um it's funny. So it's, it's a middle-aged farmer, farmer. like started hurting while he was fixing his face, uh, fix, fixing his face. No, while he was fixing his fence. Person A, farmer, says he was fixing a fence. Did you hike to the fence and how far? Yes. It's about a half a mile from my farmhouse. And where is the pain localized? It started just above my ankle and it's radiating up. 
And what I love about it is that right, the, the episode starts off, I think, even more heightened. And then it, it kind of settles down after a while. But like this farmer, typical, he's like wearing overalls. He's got wheat in his <laughs> mouth and he's chewing on even when he's in the hospital bed. Straw hat on. Like the actor is like purposely like kind of stilted with his delivery. It's so funny. Um, but yeah, so farmer's there. Legs hurting. Um, they basically find a puncture wound, determine it's a snake bite. But th- there's there's still like some fun interplay with the students because like House is obviously kind of um, messing with them the whole time a little bit. You know, it's it's funny to me because like we're obviously seeing all this visualized on screen, but there's different points when it's like the students are reacting to what patients are doing and saying, and it's like you're only seeing what's visualized, but like in real life, House is telling these students these things. So like he must be such a good storyteller that he's able to <laughs> let them visualize all this stuff. Yeah. But. And they do. It's a great job of directing because in each of the flashbacks, fake or otherwise, there's really a sense of heightened reality or like hyper reality. Yeah. Uh, so you do yeah. get the idea that you should be questioning what you're seeing. Like, even if you're like, yeah. if, even if you're not sure why you're like, mm, something is just not, yeah, not right. Not sitting right with me here. And so the yeah. fact that this farmer is this absolute caricature of, of, of what a, most people would expect yeah. a, a farmer going into the hospital for is like clue one that you should be like. <laughs> yeah. And, and right off the bat, like, you know, they kind of play with it. Cause like right at the beginning, their first instinct is like, we'll run some tests. And then house is like, Oh, sorry, but your patient just like died right now. What are you going to do? And get an MRI. MRI or a PET scan. If the problem's vascular, he's better <sighs> Sorry. Thanks for playing. Patient's dead. You killed him. We had no time to run any tests. There was nothing we could do. You had time to look at the leg. And then they kind of reset it so it could be like, why don't you look at the leg and see <laughs> if there's a puncture wound? Oh, wow, there is. It's uh, it's great. And so the first thing they assume is a snake bite. That's what they come up with is a snake bite, which, you know, is uh, is common when you work out in the fields. You know, people get bitten by snakes all the time when they're, you know, f- people in, who work on farms, they get bitten by snakes. Mm-hmm. And this seems like it sounds good. That sounds, yeah. it fits everything on the, at the surface. It sounds like that's the answer, but. <laughs> but this is a, yep. This is a house episode. So the first answer is never going to be the right, right. answer. <laughs> Cause they, they, uh, he has his team find a rattlesnake in the field. They assume that's the rattlesnake that bit him. He gets anti-venom for it. Things should be hunky-dory, but not only does he have an allergic reaction, but then once he recovers from this allergic reaction, the anti-venom didn't work at all. Yeah. So. That's strike one, basically. And so now the students are kind of presented with a dilemma. So what do we do now? He must have been bitten by a different snake. We go back and find it. Or you go online and you find there's only three poisonous snakes common in New Jersey. The copperhead, timber rattler, and the coral. Copperhead and timber rattler both respond to the antivenoms we gave the guy. So we give him the antivenom for the other one. Is that a question? We can't just blindly give him another antivenom, especially after the first one almost killed him. You said only three types of poisonous snakes commonly found in New Jersey. But what if this is an uncommon one? Very good. We gotta find the right snake. No need. Odds are, by the time you get back, the autopsy results will tell you what kind of snake it was. But you said... So we do give him the anti-venom for the other one. Again, was that a question? So we could just kind of blindly give the patient this anti-venom because if you're searching for a snake in a field, it might take way too long to find it right. and identify it. The patient could be dead by then. Um, and so there's this very clear di- dichotomy of like, 
right versus wrong that House is presenting to them and even kind of says as much that it's sort of like it might go against everything that you're being taught. But like, I assume that one choice kills him, the other one saves him. That's usually the way it works at the light turning black stage. So half of us killed him and half of us saved his life. Yeah. We can't be blamed. I'm sure this goes against everything you've been taught, but right and wrong do exist. Just because you don't know what the right answer is, maybe there's even no way you could know what the right answer is, doesn't make your answer right or even okay. It's much simpler than that. It's just plain wrong. And the students are like split between it. And yeah, it's they just start like, debating. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, half of us just like killed the guy. But in reality, uh, House says that like when it really happened, um, they, he decided to just basically blindly give the farmer that anti-venom. And it wasn't the worst thing. It didn't kill him. didn't give him an allergic reaction, but it didn't cure it didn't, him either. It didn't help. So. Right. 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 So now the farmer's dying. And so House tells him that. And the farmer's only reaction is about his dog and nothing else. My dog. What will happen to my dog? Wait, wait, wait. The guy's dying and all he cares about is his dog? Any of you guys go the dog route in your improv sessions? It's a basic truth of the human condition that everybody lies. The only variable is about what. The great thing about telling someone they're dying is that it tends to focus their priorities. Which... It is sort of a clue to everyone. Like, why is that the one thing that the guy's focused on, which leads house to determine that, Oh, actually I think the farmer was bitten by his dog, got an infection from the bite. And because the dog has bitten others, he wants to keep it secret to prevent his dog from being put down. Yeah. But because it took so long to figure all this out because the patient lied because everybody lies is the mantra of the show. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The farmer's leg is going to have to be amputated because it took so long. And the dog, unfortunately, for folks that don't like animal cruel, you know, animal issues in their show, the dog does not make it either (laughs) in the story. It is, it is. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that he chooses out of the gate to go with that story because it, it is very self-serving to his mantra that everybody lies. And that's why he doesn't trust anyone because you should never question everybody because everybody's full of shit starting with him, you know? (laughs) So it's very self, it's very much in line with his agenda of, of, why he has these beliefs and why he is the way he is because nope. it's, it just reinforces, you know, that experience that patients lie, which to be fair is true. Patients lie to their doctors all the time. And this is a, a, mm-hmm. a thing that doctors are trained to deal with is spotting when people are lying for all kinds of reasons, you know? And, um, and so he's, he's not, it's not a, va- it's not an invalid concern to have, but he definitely does present that as a way to, um, to you know reinforce that idea but also now we have in the lecture we have people coming in and out and cuddy watching and cameron and and uh, chase and and other folks that everybody else watching and and uh he sort of starts to have it be like a performance so yeah it's i didn't notice that the first time that i was watching like i noticed when like the characters that i knew would show up there but it honestly took me to the second the second watch through to realize like the lecture hall starts off almost empty and people aren't really like paying attention and then 
then by the end of it, it's like standing room yeah. only in there. Like it's not just his team. Like people, I guess, have just words been going around about this amazing lecture <laughs> that he's giving and it's showing up, which is kind of funny because like that could be something that's like really cheesy. But I think because it's so understated and no one comments yeah. on it at all, I think it does kind of work. And it's just like speaks to how compelling his storytelling is, you know. It is. And it is necessary for the you know, the climax of the episode that his team witnessed, uh, you know, witness, you know, the final reveal. And so it is, it's a, it's a really intelligent way to contrive that, you know, and to have the people be there when they didn't have any real reason to be there in the first place, (laughs) you know, is the fact that there's, he's telling this and, and word got around they want to pop in and see what, what he has to say. But, but he does, it does slowly over the course of the episode turn into the lecture turns into a sort of performance for house. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I think what is worth mentioning, it's like later in the episode, but it's like during the farmer's story. There's not because there's not a lot of Wilson in this episode, but yeah. like the kind of one scene that he has, it's like during a break from the lecture. You didn't think she was going to get married? She asked me the same question. And what? You're not going to treat him? There's probably nothing wrong with him. Oh, sure, that makes sense. She's just using the old sick husband routine as an excuse to get back in touch with you. You think this is easy for her? The only reason she'd be anywhere near you is if she was desperate. So I should help her because she hates me. She doesn't hate you. She loves you. She just... can't stand to be around you. It's kind of your clue that like this Stacy thing is going through his head as he's telling these stories right now. And and I, I, I kind of like the the kind of bit that like Wilson's like, she doesn't she doesn't hate you. She still loves you. She just can't stand being around you. Right. Which uh probably true for most people <laughs> in his life. <laughs> but she has her own reasons, right? She has like mm-hmm. and they they don't all have to do with him, you know. I mean she mm-hmm. we find out that, you know, she she there's their their relationship is much more complex than than we yeah. thought. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, she's definitely going to have some. She probably has like guilt and stuff yeah. that she's dealing with. You know. So we'll get to that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the second patient, it's 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 a little bit. Uh, it's kind of like a, I feel like it's probably a shorter. At least when I was recapping, yeah. it felt like there was less there. Um, but there is still there's still some interesting stuff here because this case is a volleyball player. Um, who very it's very funny because at first uh, it's like a teenage volleyball player but she's played by the same like middle-aged guy who was playing the farmer right. and they have him like <laughs> playing volleyball and then students are like can we not though can it, can it be like the real person yeah so it does switch to an actual like actor playing a teenager eventually um, but she suffered leg pain during volleyball practice Appears to be caused by tendonitis. Seems pretty cut and dry. Straightforward. Yeah. Um, but in this flashback, Dr. Cameron's treating her. Here's what happens when doctors care too much. I need to know everything about you. I went back three generations. No history of cancer, Parkinson's, or any other degenerative condition. But there's this boy at school, and he's on the boys' volleyball team, and they made out at a party, and now he won't call her back. And this friend of hers at school said this boy didn't like her and never did. You got all this from an examination of the knee? I think she's depressed. She doesn't have tendonitis. She has tendonitis. She's depressed about having tendonitis. She's depressed for the same reason that she has tendonitis. Not the boy. No, the boy's a jerk. She knows that, and yet she's depressed. I found a nodule. Ah. Problems with the thyroid gland causes depressed mental state can cause inflammation of the tendons. I'll run the tests. 
and there's even a, a bit where she like traces her family, yeah. her family history, like three generations back. And the way that they visualize that is like three generations of family members. In the <laughs> well, I, that, that does call into question, you know, the part of his lecture, the point of his lecture is how deep do you go as a doctor? I mean, yeah. here you got people here uh, haunting, you know, fields and farm fields for rattlesnakes. And now you got this. I mean, how far do you go to get the information yeah. you need to make an accurate and correct diagnosis? And that's, uh, you know, and, and I mean, we've seen shows where doctors do all kinds of really questionable things to get information, <laughs> uh, you know, about their patients in order to make a correct diagnosis. So it's a it's definitely something, that, you know, that, yeah. that, that bears asking. <laughs> Well, this this story goes a little bit back and forth with it, too, because at first it's presented as kind of like a negative thing where it's like Cameron got all this information. So she learns about this girl's life, determines she's like depressed. She's like, well, she's depressed. We found this nodule that might be unimportant, but those things together, along with tendinitis, might mean she has a thyroid condition. So we're going to put her through this expensive, invasive and painful procedure for what theoretically is just tendinitis, which at first, like it's presented like. Like, well, so we just wasted everyone's time doing this for something that's probably like not real. Right. Um, but then the, 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 the twist is that, no, it actually wasn't useless yes. <laughs> because the patient then starts getting worse. Um, she's like ultra sensitive to touch and is like streaming, screaming when they just try to take her blood, which is kind of nightmarish. Susan, I barely touched you. Hypersensitivity to touch. There's something else going on. They do more tests and realize that she actually has a cancerous tumor in her leg, which may require amputation to be removed. So like, even though the thyroid condition, the tendonitis and the cancer, even though all of these things were technically unrelated, the fact that Cameron was so thorough, instead of just being like, tendonitis, take some anti-inflammatories, go home. The fact that she was so thorough and, and kept her there doing all these tests meant that they were actually more quickly able to detect this uh, real problem and treat the big, and treat the bigger problem. It is interesting because, as you said earlier, the show doesn't ever let House be a monolith in his own series. And there are different uh, contributors to the differential diagnoses that he makes over the years. Cameron, until she leaves the show, I think halfway through the season, I mean, the, the series, uh, she d is a really important to house. And she's um, as a friend and as a diagnostician, she's very, uh, and she's very different than he is. She's very, she does mm -hmm. tend to get very emotionally involved. She does tend to go, you know, very, get very invested in her patients. And she does argue often that these um, these very like sterile treating these these uh, people as as just mysteries to be solved as dehumanizing and not useful and that um, so the show does make an argument you know a different of different points of view of how to approach you know being an ethical doctor and and it, and it makes the point that there are different ways to be a, a good doctor and it's just as valid to be you know thorough but. House does not agree 100 percent on that because right, yeah. Well, because even in, in while he's telling the story, there's like one of the patients he kind of gets in a little bit of an argument with because I mean it's not really a 40 year old man on the girls' volleyball team, right? It's a leg, leg is a leg is a leg. Well, I was just worried that. Did you worry about her more if she was younger? Well, obviously we should care about all our patients, no matter what age. What... Yeah, right. I saw the way you were looking at Carmen. She's mine. Stay away. <laughs> Would you operate on your mother? Of course not. 
I'd be too nervous. Couldn't be objective. Then why are you so anxious to treat every patient like their family? It's like a weird kind of um, contradiction, but also it did work in this case with Dr. Cameron. So like it just works for some cases and work doesn't work for others. Like I like that there isn't like a clean, simple message or lesson or answer. It, yeah. it is just like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You just got to figure out which is the best route to take and which route you can take that's, in that that's, scenario. That's that is medicine. You know, these are individual yeah. human beings and every case is going to be different. And that is why he pushes so hard. He pushes the students so hard to think outside the box and not just go with the easy familiar, you know, it's in her own way. She is a lot like Cameron is a lot like house in that she does kind of, you know, march to her own drummer and, and follow her own code <laughs> of ethics and, and gets, you know, things done almost as effectively as he does. So it does, he does make that case. You know, she did, she did at least not rely on the textbook easy definition and the, what sounded right, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. This, the only other thing um, that was in this sort of section <laughs> that I really liked is that like one of the funny parts about jumping back and forth is that it's sort of eventually like uh, you sort of eventually realize that like all of these cases took place at very different points in time. And actually like it's referenced that the volleyball patient was like three months before the rattlesnake patient right. <laughs> so or the farmer and so like there's a point when like he references the the farmer in in universe in the volleyball flashback what's up with the farmer what farmer snake bite guy oh right you guys don't know about it he doesn't get bitten until three months after we treat the volleyball player luckily it's been well established the time is not a fixed construct and the fictional characters in his false flashback don't know what he's talking about because it hasn't, hasn't happened, happened for yet. them yet <laughs> in his flashback. But then he like turns to the camera and he's like, oh, that's right. That hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Luckily, it's been proven that time is not a fixed construct. <laughs> a little, little fourth wall breakage there, but just a little yeah. tiny, a little tiny bit. Just a little bit. There's yet, there's not as much as I would have expected for something like this, which I think is good because then the points when it does come up and he's like, ha ha ha, we don't, time doesn't matter in this scenario. It's like, it actually stands out yeah. and it's very funny. So, so ultimately, ultimately the uh, patient does not have to have her leg amputated. So he, they do manage yeah. to save her leg and treat her for the cancer. They do. It's a, it's a happy ending. You know, un yeah. unlike the poor farmer who lost his leg and his dog, you know, <laughs> I know, poor guy. <laughs> so this third patient is really where like the, the big meat of the episode comes yeah. from, because um, eventually we just we just pretty much solely settle into this one. So it starts off as one of the lightest ones, though, because this one is a golfer who is played by Baywatch thespian Carmen Electra <laughs> in in like in universe. Like House tells the students that. Just imagine I, yeah, Carmen Electra. Yeah. Imagine Carmen Electra. It's great. Can I put my pants back on now? I'd rather you didn't. Which Carmen Electra is this? First one, the golfer. And why isn't she wearing pants? You have decreased reflexes in your patellar tendon. Anyone? Slip disc? Could be. How bad does it hurt? It hurts really, really bad. Yeah. It doesn't seem real. Is she the one faking? Oh, 
Oh, for God's sake. She's here to play into my fantasy, not because she's Meryl Streep. Uh, but over time, it's kind of like, uh, it, it, it seems pretty clear. Well, first of all, over time, Carmen Electra just becomes um, another middle-aged man. Um, so Carmen Electra isn't in the whole thing. But uh, once she does become just a dude, uh, it kind of becomes clear to the students that like, oh, this guy seems like he's just faking it because he just wants painkillers. He just wants to score narcotics. Um, evidenced by him literally just like grabbing a syringe of narcotics and injecting himself with it, um, which is wild. <laughs> um, but then the patient returns to the hospital complaining about more pain. Um, and obviously everyone's like suspicious about it, but House is like, I mean, even drug addicts get sick right. and you would still have to treat them, right? So in order to confirm that the patient really is actually in pain, <laughs> he orders a catheterization with no anesthetic. Basically the idea being that if he can handle a catheter for half an hour, then he really must be sick and isn't seeking drugs. Right. I wonder if that really happened given what we what we learn of who the patient really is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it did. I think it did. He just he really <laughs> kinda underlined that and you know, and how I think it did have I think, you know, within within this retelling, I think he probably you get the sense that House is making it up, making uh, making the decision to tell the story as it goes. Not that he's making the story up, but that he's making mm. the decision to tell it as he goes along. And that all is influenced by, you know, who's watching. And we talked about, like, the performance aspect of it. Um, but he he is deciding to tell the story, you know, for a reason. And I don't I don't think he's embellishing it. I think what we see in its own way is the truth of what happened, yeah. you know? That makes sense. That makes sense. I could be wrong, but that was my that was right. my interpretation. <laughs> no, I, I I buy it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But he does go through the catheterization and actually has tea colored blood in the urine, which is gross. <laughs> um, and uh, they they eventually determine, thanks to like the help of Doctor Cameron, who's there now, uh, contributing contributing this like to the lecture hall because none of the students can figure this out. Could be damage done by the self injection of the Demerol treatment. Heat and rest. Other possible causes. Infection. Starting on antibiotics. What else? Come on, come on. I, I don't know. You're useless. But at least you know it. Blood tests show elevated creatine kinase. What does that tell you? The trauma diagnosis is right. He takes it easy for a few days, he'll be fine. You sure? The elevated CK rules out infection. You know what's worse than useless? Useless and oblivious. What are they missing? You know, it's kind of hard to think when you're in our face like Yeah? You think it's going to be easier when you got a real patient really dying? What are you missing? Muscle death. Not your case. Nothing wrong with the consult. However, they figured that out in the lecture hall in a few minutes. In reality, the attending doctors didn't realize this for three days. And the only reason they realized it is because the patient himself suggested it. And the reason that the patient was able to suggest it is because, as the team who's watching this realizes, it was an aneurysm that clotted, leading to an infarction. God, you were right. It's House. Dr. House is actually talking about himself. So we realize, like, oh, this is actually like House's origin story right, right now, <laughs> and because it took so long for this for the muscle death thing to be realized, I think it was like muscle death, like was because of of an infarction, yeah. which is what has been referenced before as the reason why he walks with a limp, and because it took so long, that means like 
the first option seems the safest option seems to be to amputate his leg, um, which he is not happy about. Uh, why nobody would be happy about that. And so basically from here on out, we see in this flashback, Dr. House is the patient. Dr. Cuddy is his attending doctor. And then girlfriend Stacy, who we met at the beginning is at his side. So we kind of see where this takes place in the timeline. I do like once you realize that house has been talking about himself the whole time, I like the implication that he cast uh, Carmen Electra as himself <laughs> at first. <laughs> yes, that does speak a lot about who who House is. Yes, that he's a, he finds her identifiable and or uh, an appropriate you know stand in for his stand experiences. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah. It is interesting because um, you know the story is very complex. So we fi- we find out in the episode that. So he and Stacy butted heads and they had a huge, huge uh, fallout about what the best course of action was for his disease. And she felt she was in uh, in the camp that the best thing to do and the most efficient and the most uh, best prognosis uh, would be to have his leg amputated. And he was right. like, no, this is a cop out because there's other things that can be other ways it can be treated and um, people are just writing me off because he, you know, they thought he was just wanted pain medication and like he's been written off since the beginning. And all, he's just so frustrated that these doctors are just looking for that pat solution and not thinking right. outside the box. And it's just caused this cascade of health issues for him. And he's like, this is right. just another example of another pat solution. that's going to cost me my leg now. I don't think so. You know, right. do a bypass, restore the circulation. Amputation is safer. For you or me? The blockage of blood flow. Four-day blockage. Yes. It caused muscle cell death. When those cells die, they release cytokines and potassium. If you restore the blood flow, instead of just lopping it all off, then all that crap gets washed back into my system. The cytokines could cause organ failure, and the potassium could cause cardiac arrest. On the other hand, let me just get the use of my leg back. The post-operative pain alone. I'll get through it. I understand the risks. You're in the clear. Go schedule an OR. You're an idiot. Yeah, I think I'm more of a jerk. No, I'm not being glib. And I'm not being cute. I don't want you to kill yourself. I'm not gonna die. Oh, oh. I feel completely reassured. And which is a completely justified thing. But, yeah. but as he tells that student, when you're in that emotional moment, are you ethically able to make the best decisions about the case? And if it's yourself... Yeah. This is why doctors can't treat themselves, you know, ethically. Right. If you're in that moment, you can't necessarily be trusted to make the most clear headed, objective decisions about your own doctors. Don't treat themselves. I mean, doctors go see other doctors, you know. Um, So at what point he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't hand over the the reins to the team, but he is justified in that because they screw up over and over again and they cause him a cascade of issues. And so what ends up happening is that um, I forget that. I think he has some other like a complication, right? Yeah. So like it's, it's so like he presents the idea of like a bypass, which is like, it, even it like would give the option of potentially being able to like save his leg completely, but it could kill him. It's, it's, it's high risk. Yeah. Could put, it's going to put him in a ton of pain, could poison his organs, could risk cardiac arrest. 
which, which does, he does go yeah. under because he does get the surgery. He's in like intense pain, even with like the highest dose of morphine. It's like, it's really well acted because it's like uncomfortable to watch yeah. like how much pain the dude is clearly in. And yeah, he like goes into cardiac arrest. He has like, he has death visions while he, he early he, describes and tells us he has like death visions while he's in cardiac arrest. Um, but I think what's interesting is that like the visions that he has are of the volleyball player and of the farmer who in the timeline happen after all of this. So it's sort of like, is he fabricating? Yeah. Is he fabricating this? Was he just hallucinating? <laughs> Did he actually see into the future or something? <laughs> you know, like we don't know. We could be just making all this up. Who knows? But, um, but yeah, either way, like, yeah, he has right. he goes under cardiac arrest. So it's very clear like this is dire what's happening. And he wants to pull he thinks that he can pull through or he wants to believe he can pull through, but everyone else around him is like, "No, you 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 are going to die from the pain. This is not it's just not worth yeah. it." Yeah. And then they put him in a in a medically induced coma because his yes. his his uh cardiac situation gets so dire. I forget the exact medical detail, but they have to put him the the long story short and the 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 plot the plot hinge is that they have to yeah. put him in that, in that medically induced coma. And then it falls on Stacy uh, to decide uh, what, what the next best right. situation is. Yeah. And his doctors are still advocating um, amputation. Yeah. And she's aware that those are not his wishes. That's actually against his wishes. And that what he wants is, uh, you know, t- for them to proceed with the, with this, which is, physically already incapacitating him they're not even fully started so she has really an impossible choice to make you know what happens after he's in the coma we'll obviously monitor his condition closely and uh, if he can get through the next 48 hours without another cardiac incident i mean i'm his healthcare proxy i get to make medical decisions for him if he's not able to Uh, you should talk to him about what he i know what he wants but if he's out, it's my call, right? Cuddy presents like this third option, which is like this this interesting like middle ground, which is that he won't we won't amputate the leg. He'll still have it, but we're gonna like go in and remove the muscle, the the dead muscle cells. However, it works. Either way, it means that House is gonna like lose kind of the function. significant yeah. function of his leg. He'll still have it, but he's gonna like walk with a limp for the rest of his life. What I think is so interesting is that like. It's almost the second that House goes under. Stacy's like, "We're gonna do the third option. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it right now." Like, doesn't even has like, kind of planning for this to happen. Right. The middle ground you were talking about. We go in, take out the dead muscle. There's still some risk of reperfusion injury, but give me the forms you need signed. Knowing that that's against his wishes, which. The argument is very clear, like, is that ethical or not? And the episode doesn't really have an answer yeah. for that, because is it ethical or not? Um, if, if, if you know, if it's against the patient's wishes, but it, she even says, like, he's being an idiot, like, right. <laughs> you know. But yes, and, and they do it, and thus is the origin for House's limp, his chronic pain, because it took so long to do all of this that even though they had that surgery, he's still going to be under chronic pain for the rest of his life, which means he's taking Vicodin, which contributes to the Viking addiction that he has throughout the show because of that pain. And also the bad breakup that he has with Stacy because of all of yeah. this. Like there, she goes into it knowing their relationship is not going to survive. She goes into it as a, as a sacrifice almost in that yeah. she knows he's going to hate her. She knows he's not going to forgive her for betraying him. 
um, and whatever health outcomes that he has to live with are going to be something that are going to be due to the result of her decision making. And so she's going to have to know that. And there's, she goes into, she makes the decision that quickly um, because she believes so strongly that to save his life, ultimately, you know, she does it out of love in her mind, but yeah, it's a really, it's a, it's a quandary, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I would do in her shoes. It's such a difficult position for her to be in, you know, me either. And it's really, I mean, and and the episode's very clear that there's no answer, no real answer to it. Cause even as the medical students arguing about that, you know, she had no right to do that. She had the proxy. She knew he didn't want the surgery. She saved his life. Well, we don't know that. Maybe it would have been fine. It doesn't matter. It's the patient's call. The patient's an idiot. They usually are. Was it ethical for her to do it or not? Like, she knows what his wishes were. But, like, we also know, like, we as an audience even know who who House is as a character and that he can be a stubborn jackass. And it's like, maybe he would have been happier with if he had no leg instead of, like, knowing that his... That that someone he loved like betrayed him in his eyes, you know, like who knows? And he's so self-destructive, he absolutely would die on that hill, literally die on that hill, yeah. you know, about being right. Yeah. And so, do you let somebody you love die because of a dumbass decision, because or pride right. or pride or whatever, or just stubbornness or just you know the myopia of not seeing alternatives that aren't as perfect or as you know ideal but are still workable like so i mean you know the the the, one of the best things about this episode is that it does invite the viewer to ask well what would you do in this position like what what is the right course you know and i don't i don't have an it's been 17 years i still don't know you know (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's rough and i think this it really does a good job, I think, of even though this is our first time meeting Stacy, like I think it humanizes her immediately really well because it's very clear that it's very clear that she gets house. Like, I think that there's that really important exchange that they have where she's like, we've got to let him cut the leg off. It's my leg. It's my life. Did you give up your leg to save my life? Of course I that your life is worth less than mine. If this were any other patient, what would you tell them to do? I would say, is there a choice? For not a chance. You'd browbeat them until they made the choice you knew was right. You'd shove in their face and it's just a damn leg. You don't think you deserve to live? I don't think you deserve to be happy. Now let them cut off your leg. <laughs> and it's like, cause she knows that he thinks that low of himself, yeah. you know, and, and, and just like the, the hypocrisy of it all. The fact that like so many, in so many episodes of the show, he'll go down and like browbeat a patient. Be like, this is stupid. You've got to do the right. Like, I'm going to do this whether you like it or not. But when he's in, you know, when the, when the roles are reversed, like he's, he's doing the same thing that all of his, quote unquote dumb patients do you know um and, and i love that like she's able to kind of call him out on that but i really like the your framing of it as is basically being a sacrifice like knowing that this is going to irreparably damage their relationship but it did save his life and it's there was seemed to be a high likelihood that if she didn't do it he wouldn't have survived and that's 
really powerful and heartbreaking, you know? It's really a, hard, a rock and a hard place. And you still see, it is a credit to both those actors, uh, Sailor Ward and, and Hugh Laurie, that you don't get the sense that they hate each other. You get the sense that they still really care about each other, but they just, they can, they will never be able to get past this. Like this was it. This yeah. was just the, the just complete break of their relationship. And there was, there will, ne- they will never be able to fully heal from this, even as friends, yeah. you know? Um, but, but yeah. at the end of the episode, they do find like the first step toward a yeah. kind of peace. I think, you know, where he does agree ultimately to treat her husband and look at, his his case uh you know and it is a a gesture that she recognizes as a kind of not not turning over a new leaf but a a gesture of some kind of forgiveness on some level you Mm. know or acceptance or or something where you know she clearly has a lot of guilt uh you know it's when i we watched it recently um you know this episode uh, you notice that when he goes into her, like when he like the for their first meeting, um, and he's so not nasty, cold to her. She yeah. is not cold to him. She she has boundaries in place. She won't necessarily engage him on the pettiness and the levels that he likes to engage in people when he to get up her hand. He doesn't. She doesn't play into any of that. But she doesn't reciprocate his the anger that he has like you can see that real subtlety in their dynamic which is really one of those things that for me i really loved about this show is just these little nuances that these actors put into these interplays of you know and then you go back and you watch it and you're like oh i see why she didn't lash back out at him because she still has that little that guilt that guilt that she carries around that sense of responsibility for how he is you know and right yeah and and there's got to be some resentment like like, there's obviously resentment on house's end because he makes that very clear but there's got to be a little bit on her Mm -hmm. end too that's going to make her more conflicted because he put her in that position in the first place to have to make that hard call you know and and like i don't know if it's fair to say that there's like it's like an equal they're like equally at fault necessarily but they both have like decisions that that the other are going to view like wrong you know um or have or hold some kind of responsibility for and it's just i i love how not clean it is like it's just it's no not clear cut in any way and and i mean intentionally so and i think that it kind of speaks to a lot of this episode's sort of um unclear answers on anything like medicine is just a complicated field to be in and the patient relationships and how you, how you deal with your patient and how you make decisions about your patient's health or how you make decisions about your own health as a patient. Like there's so many variables and nuances to like what, what you decide and based on like what's happening and when you do it that like, you can't just give a lecture on tell right. and tell people like what's right or wrong. You know, there's a right or wrong answer in terms of like what's going to kill someone and what isn't. But beyond that, like w- any approach can can vary depending on the situation. Absolutely, and these are and these are real life issues that even today, you know, um, that uh, the the field of healthcare struggles with that that intersection of patient advocacy and patient education. So like let's say in healthcare, if you are you have the responsibility to educate your patient on you know side effects, potential prognoses, potential effects of a surgery or procedure or medication they're going to take. All of that is uh, the ethical responsibility of all healthcare workers. And then you have well patient advocacy where you have um, part of 
what that entails is people have the right to make bad decisions for themselves. So, you know, to a very, very large degree, you know, uh, and in, there's actually very little exception. And it's almost like that's the default is that we assume that people have the innate right to make dumbass decisions. <laughs> you know, we, we have the right, <laughs> right to be self-destructive. We have the right to make the wrong choice for ourselves that our doctors disagree with. We ultimately have to have that, that agency over our own uh, healthcare decisions. And um, from that aspect of it, you know, coming from a, a field of, of healthcare, you know, myself is that from that aspect of it, I find what Stacy did very problematic. But as a as sure. a person, as a person who's had a family member who's made a lot of uh, doctors don't know what they're talking about kinds of decisions, you know, <laughs> I find what she did very human, if that makes sense. Yeah, so. sure, sure. And there's the added factor that like she's she isn't a medical professional, yeah. so like she's going to be coming at it from a very human point of view, you know. And it's like you know, so like that's the other thing is that like we're following all of these doctor characters and people who are in the medical field were in this episode, we're just in a room full of people who are training to be in the medical profession. But like the point of view of someone working in the medical medical industry is going to be different than someone who isn't. And like those things alone are going to clash. Like the way that you view ethics is going to be wildly different because one group of people is trained in, in very specific ethical boundaries and the rest of us aren't yeah. at all, you know? Yes. So these yeah. are, these are real uh, issues that, that every single day medical professionals deal with and, and they're not easy. And part of training to become a medical or healthcare professional, even, you know, the allied healthcare fields and things like that is that you have to deal with the human being in front of you and human beings are complex and complicated yeah. and frustrating and lie sometimes and make mistakes. Uh -huh. And that is just part of providing, you know, ethical, adequate care as a professional. And, and um, I mean, it's a valuable lesson, but of course it does ultimately serve house's agenda to, uh, <laughs> to a Lord, how much smarter he is than everybody. Uh, you know, he definitely had, that's always at the top of his agenda is reminding people how much smarter he is than, uh, yeah. than they all are. And to be in, in a way that, uh, I do think that it makes the point that having met Stacy and having to revisit these things for him makes him feel very vulnerable in a way that he doesn't typically allow himself to be very frequently, especially to, up to this point in the series to his team, you know? And uh, yeah, so I mean, I think this is his way of allowing these people in a little bit and to kind of not explain yeah. himself, but just to kind of, uh, that he is feeling very vulnerable having to run into Stacy and having to revisit all these emotions and in this setting yeah. as a professional. And so by the, by the end of the episode, I think they do, they do see him as a, as a human being and not as this, you know, tower of, of intellect. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that does make sense though. Yeah, he's feeling vulnerable. This is, this is sort of his way of opening up, but like indirectly, like still with the sort of that barrier because he's not technically t telling them his backstory, but he's probably figures that they're smart enough to figure sure. it out, you know? 
Um, yeah, that's, that's really, that's really cool. I love that this episode is able to pull all of that off. The only other fun little bit of it is I, I love <laughs> the other piece at the end is that apparently house has also been solving an entirely different mystery oh, yes. the entire time during this lecture, <laughs> but he's like, Oh, by the way, by the way. I figured out, <laughs> found this like world's greatest dad mug that the professor had in his desk, realized that his uh, son used lead based paint in the mug. And that's why he's like sick. So off out sick so often is because he's being, <laughs> he's getting lead poisoned. <laughs> from his mug this guy is not the world's greatest dad not even ranked who the hell lets their kids play with lead-based paint that's why he's always sick find him some plastic cups and the class is all his again i just like casually yeah. oh, just by think, the way, you know throws it out. there little little it's, so funny. <laughs> it's such a nice little way to just like kind of tie it all together <laughs> in a nice little bow at the end i love it i like it too i um, like it's it's still yeah. one of my favorite episodes of television of all time just because it it just has just so much going on and just still manages to be this cohesive, amazing hour of television that just packs such a punch. And I just, I love it. It's one of the best examples of mm. the series itself. Although, as we did mention, they do later on go make, go on to make two more episodes that with a similar structure, one is called two stories and I am completely blanking on the third one, but I, I mean, I can, I can tell you later what it's called, but there, it's much <laughs> later in this, in the series. I think it's might be like the yeah. sixth or seventh season that they have uh, this third one, but it's the, same similar format so they they revisit uh this structure you know that, that won yeah. them uh, accolades and I, if i remember right two stories is actually a very good a very good episode as well nice. yeah i was wondering because you know this could be the kind of thing that has like diminishing returns yes. because so much right. of the power of this episode is like the house origin story in it so it's cool that they're able to pull it off more than right, once. Right. Yeah, I, I would at least, this is one of the, it's, and it was always very interesting to me that this was the penultimate episode of the first season, right? Like it wasn't the serious finale, season finale, and it easily could have been. It easily could have been the season finale to have that reveal. But, um, you know, and a lot of people yeah. I remember at the time, because I was really active in like message forums about TV at the time. And I remember people saying, you know, the, the finale, the, se the season finale of season one is almost like anticlimactic after that amazing episode, right? <laughs> and uh, that is still something that a lot of House fans say is that, you know, that mm -hmm. that was that maybe should have been the series, the season finale uh, for season one, yeah. because, I mean, how do you top that? I mean, it's got to be one of the yeah. best episodes of television of all time. And then you have another, you know, follow up that's supposed to be the season finale. So that was kind of an interesting. If you're mm -hmm. watching the show in chronological order, you're like, hmm, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's good. And it, yeah, it, it just it's amazing how much they're able to pack, how much uh, really heavy stuff they're able to pack in an episode that's just so also just so bonkers and, weird <laughs> and funny and weirdly structured and funny. <laughs> Yeah, really funny. It's great. Yeah. Ultimately, I think that this shows that this episode showed that a lot of who house is is bravado. Because if you see the way that the whole series, this the if if it was if it wasn't the way he told the story of what happened to him was surprisingly non-judgmental in the sense that it does give everyone equal say, everybody's points of view equal say. And it does reveal that perhaps he is not as unforgiving and as cold and as self-righteous and sanctimonious yeah. as he can be sometimes, uh, that a lot of that is bravado. And I think that's a really wonderful, when for writers in general, when you have these very complex characters that have all these walls, uh, this is just such an, this, this format was such an effective tool to uh, let people see the interior of a character that 
resolutely does not allow anyone to see the interior. You know, you have to have these sort of, yeah. you know, peeks into it. So I think as as in terms of like writing, uh, you know, for writers out there, it's it's a good contrivance of having your main character tell a story either about himself or someone that turns out to be himself or so, or some kind of analog analogy or something like that, where uh, it just shows a really creative way to like have this insight into a character that might sometimes be different, very opaque. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Thank you so much. I you've re- actually I oh, I already you. came into this episode with so many thoughts, but I feel like uh, you kind of even made me think about some of this stuff even more deeply than I even oh. thought. It's just such a dense episode, and I, I'm so so happy to have you on talking about Thank it. Thank you. I might I might have over. I've had 17 years to overthink it, so it's possible. <laughs> it's possible I overthought some of it, but I'm thank you for giving me a, a platform to uh, ramble on about it. For <laughs> of course, let the genie out of, of the bottle. It's, there, you know. It's a Lovely. Well, if anyone uh, wants to kind of find you online or anything else that you're working on, uh, where, where would you like to be found? Yeah, I, I mostly spend a lot of time on Twitter talking about TV and pop culture and comic books. And that's how we met. We talk, start talking about mm-hmm. Cape Media um, years ago and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So I'm, I'm found on Twitter at Plus Verb. Uh, you know, and so that's that's pretty much where where my domain is. <laughs> and I, I'm working on a blog, but it's it's in, it's not up yet. So cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks again. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Derek V. Gale or on my other podcasts. Wallahoo Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast, which does deep dives into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made <laughs> and falling with style and ongoing Pixar movie marathon, which is a monthly podcast that dives into every Pixar film chronologically. You can also find this podcast at Gimmicks Pod on Twitter and Instagram for some extra goodies and email me your questions, feedback, and corrections to gimmickspodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on all podcast platforms. And until next time, friends, keep being weird. Treated the Baywatch chick? The Baywatch thespian.